The views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views of Cleveland State University, and my participation in this podcast is separate from my roles there as associate lecturer and director of the school psychology program. Further, this podcast is for educational use only and should not be considered professional advice. Welcome back, listeners, to the Handsful Parenting Podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Handsful Parenting Podcast. This is episode number 27. It's been a while. I'm joined, as always, by my fabulous co-host, Axel Balsadanzi. Gracias, Che. Gracias, Che. ¿Cómo estás? How are you, my best American friend? Muy bien. Hace mucho frío acá. It's cold up there, right? Yeah, I know. It's quite sunny and, 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 and hot down here. Yeah, I I saw the pictures. I'm a little jealous, but I, I'm ready for this cold. I mean, it's supposed to be a white Christmas here, so there's a chance the snow will stick around for Christmas. So it's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, not, unlike us that we eat northern high calorie foods in this time of the year, but we are uh, sweating because it's 40 Fahrenheit outside. I, I remember when I was there for Christmas, it was all like, Yambres, like cold meat and like cold salads and um it was weird you just didn't but that's, feel that's right only one part we also eat a lot of i don't know if you I, I don't think you guys eat over there but it's very common in europe especially in spain it's called turron um, oh yeah it's uh do, do you eat it up there well because i'm italian yeah we eat turron oh, of course yes and, but, but no, that's... people don't generally eat that, like that nougat no. right? or that like uh, that like eggy sort of you know nougaty stuff. Yes, yes, and and there's one made. Uh, most of it is made with almonds. And there's one that it's uh, called. It, it's it's a very similar to an to an Arabian delicatessen, uh, a sweet. Uh, but I, now I'm I can't for, I can't remember the name of this uh, very typical Turkish sweet thing they do with peanut and honey uh do you know what i'm talking about mm, i know what you're talking about i can't remember the name of it but yeah yes. and you do well, panettone a lot too like the big, panettone. nutty breads right yeah filled with 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 nuts all of those things are high calorie food thought for the european christmas and we move to the to south america and we keep them all together and of course we we have all the trees with fake um snow too not not at my house but in many places shopping malls and everything we we have fake snow even when we don't have snow even in winter but <laughs> my kids would just dream to have a christmas in you know, with the snow i was in san martin de los andes right after uh christmas and there were some really nice decorations down there um, yeah. on, on trees on actual trees outside and they, they did it felt a little bit more like a north american christmas Yes, which is the original Christmas, right? The, the right one. Of course, the only one. <laughs> well, you do have the original Santa. Uh, yes, that's right. Thanks to Coca-Cola. So I guess <laughs> everything happens. He, he departs from Atlanta, not from the North Pole. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, uh, well, it's been a while since we've recorded last, and there's some, I think, things relevant to our podcast and to parenting that we've been doing since then. So I thought we would just kind of talk about 
what we've been up to, um, just so folks know what we've been doing during this this hiatus. So I'll let you go first, Axel. I mean, you got a lot going on that's that's related to uh, what we chat about here. Oh yeah, well, it's uh, the end of the year for us down here. We just finished our school year, and now we are preparing for the holidays. And um, so we are opening the new school on March, and we're in construction. And that that's a lot of takes a lot of work because all the the permits and and on different layers of government for construction for the school for everything. Also designing a new project because we are moving closer to the city, more people, other type of demands, and uh, you know, uh, teaching English here is a is a very uh, necessary part of the curriculum, which we had, but we are increasing. So I welcome any of our listeners who want to come for a season here and teach English to little kids. Uh, you're, you're, you're more than welcome to come. And um, so, yeah, and, and that involves, and I think this is what's going to connect with our, our podcast today. And the, the theme we're going to talk about is uh, we do a lot of end of year interviews with the parents. That's how we, we end, you know, one-on-one -on -one interviews when we, we give them a full brief of what their son's been up to so it's it's uh really on a personal level i gotta say it's a straining part of the year stressful part of the year because um when you talk to the parents uh and what we usually get is a glimpse of um how difficult it is to raise a child and many since our school is very little and we do something very personal we get in touch with uh, many of the, the family's reality, internal reality, not, not, not just the academic or the behavior at school. Parents here tell us a lot about how they, they behave at home. Sometimes because they usually, or many cases, they behave better at the school than, than at home. How hard it is for parents to 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 organize everyday living in a in a way that is harmonic and, and that everybody is happy. Is happy. So... So it's it's stressful because after at the end of the day you go you go home and you have all these family problems you wish you could solve but of course we can't and uh, we are not trained psychologists so we just absorb it and get sick that's basically how we deal with it teachers. Well, you've been doing a lot of like consulting though to help parents to problem solve around these issues though, right? Yes, yes, I have, I have. That's the. the, the... What, what what comes out of these meetings, usually we do a lot of follow-up and they end up asking us um, how to go day by day because people need a lot of, of, of help because it's, it's hard to raise kids these times. I, I guess any time, but maybe parents care more about doing a good job on, on this century than they did 50, 60 years ago. I don't know, especially on the emotional aspect. I think... This is one of the things, right? We were talking about maybe 80 years ago, the, the measure of success as a parent was that your kid could get a job, have a family, and, and that's it. Not not if he was happy or not. Now we want kids not to have psychologi psychological or emotional problems, and that has raised the bar. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even consider that, but uh, I do feel as though the bar keeps being um, raised, you know, or lowered, however you want to look at it in terms of what parenting success is and what's required of parents, you know, and it makes it feel like a much more difficult job than what we always talk about in the 80s when our parents just let us, you know, roam free, uh, checking out um, abandoned homes and <laughs> walking down <laughs> railroad tracks and playing in, uh, you know, salt storage, storage facilities and stuff like that. Yes. And how about you? What have you been up to lately that 
that we couldn't record because I've been oh with my hands full, literally. And yes. that's why I couldn't get back. Yes, yes. Well, one of the things is I, I started teaching Psychology 101 to 200 students, um, which I absolutely love, but it's a new prep, what we call it in the academic world. So I had to prepare a new class and I was literally up until, you know, 10, 30, 11 every night preparing for lectures uh, of these students. You know, when you're going in front of 200 people, you just don't have a lot of room to mess up. I mean, you can mess mm. up, but if you do, you're going to feel awful and it's going to be really awkward and stressful. So you got to be on your game. You got to get through it. And, and if you get through it, you know, with um, a feeling like you really connected with the students, then it's a rush. You know, it's an adrenaline boost. So like every morning before class, I'd basically walk the stairs, you know, for 20 minutes to get my uh, oxygen levels up, to get my brain working better so I could speak more, you know, fluidly. And uh, so, yeah, it went, it went great. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I had fun with my students. I felt like I got some decent feedback. So in addition to that, though, from the parenting end, um, I have started coaching a ton of sports. Like I, I assistant coached um, uh, soccer and football, and now I'm the head coach of Henry's uh, basketball team. This is something I never oh. envisioned myself doing, but um, I've really taken on this role of coach. And I don't know that I'm great at it, but I, I like it, and um, I think that it's it's it comes kind of naturally to me. And I think it's just an extension of parenting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like also when, you know, Emerson will have a practice or it'll be a bunch of kids who are, you know, playing, uh, and, you know, and, and I'll organize them into, um, different games, you know, just to, just to work with them all. And so, um, that's been a lot of fun, but a lot of work as well. Seems like it, someone, someone got inspired by Ted Lasso. I, I yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not just, you know, parent as coach, but also coach as coach, you know, it's, yeah just another way to influence your kid and, and other, other people's kids and, and uh, you know, to, to be mentored to more than just a, a couple. So, mm -hmm. um, and then also, you know, we've talked a lot about the importance of family dinners and that was one place where we had slacked. So now every night, you know, whether or not Sarah's home, cause she works late a couple um, days a week, we have family dinner um, and we sit down as a family, we set the table, um, things look nice and the table is clean and there's no phones and we talk about our days and we eat together as as a unit. So that's something oh, I have implemented. Um, another thing um, I've been doing is I started baking sourdough bread for my kids. Like it's a way for me to kind of like show them through something that I re really work hard on, you know, some some my my love like here is this organic sourdough bread that has fantastic ingredients and I'm feeding you fresh bread every day. Um, I know this sounds ridiculous, but no, no. Uh, I think you sound like the perfect husband. And uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm sure most of our female audiences are just trying to get hold of your phone and you know see if Sarah is not at home right now and try to snatch you out of that place because you're you really look sound like the perfect dad. Yeah, I, I really think it, the, the the truth of the matter, though, is that she puts up with me, you know, <laughs> the, the reality, like if we had a camera, you'd be like, he does all that, but he's a little bit moody and he can be a little bit grouchy sometimes. So well, we have your back here. We have your yeah, back. Well, thank you. Um, so sourdough bread has been great to give my kids, you know, like some really healthy core nutrition on an everyday basis. Uh, I really got an structure lately. Um just I, I felt like my kids would come home and just there'd be no structure, especially on the weekends and things would get out of sorts. 
Um, and it's not that I can't be impulsive, but I make sure that every day we have a chart. Kids do two chores every day. They do their homework. And if there's no homework, they do reading or math um, or math computer games. Um, they do exercise every day. Um, and if they do their chores all week long and we marked it off, they get a, an allowance of a dollar per day um, just to kind of feel some sort of like real world connection. So they've got that structure every day. Like here are things that I have to do every day. Here are things I have to do every day when I get home. And I feel like it has created routine and expectations and um, things are are moving better. I also took away all of the like mature um, TV kids watch PBS kids um, only or other educational stuff that I've identified. Um, it's a little bit draconian and we do have movie nights where we watch Harry Potter, Home Alone, things that are not, you know, PBS, but we watch mm -hmm. them together as a family when we do that. Or if they want to watch something like Spy Kids, they like that movie a lot. They have to do it while they're exercising, you know. So um, I felt like there was just so much mature TV that they were watching, that they were getting ahead of themselves and didn't know how to handle what was being talked about, or it didn't really relate to their lives, or it was moving them along the path too quickly. Um, and, and now I'm, I probably sound like a parent who's censoring books, but I think they've been a lot happier uh, since mm -hmm. all of these changes have been implemented. Just the general level of like contentedness of both kids um, seems to be improved. Um, by making a lot of these these changes. We also limit the amount of, of TV and, and are, are really um, you know strict about that. Whereas in the past, we'd do it for a week and then we'd, we'd fall off the, the wagon. You know, now I'm pretty serious about it. Same with like computer time after we talked about, hey, you know, what do we think is the actual, you know, rule or limitation on TV? We've, we've taken it from probably a couple hours a day to, to one hour a day, um, or maybe on really snowy days if they haven't used the computer much then maybe two hours, two and a half hours on a, on a really snowy day where they can't do anything else or we can't leave the house. Sounds so, like you really stepped up the game. That sounds great. And if they're happier, then that's the key. That's, that's really the key. Yeah, they do seem to be more content. You know, um, the Henry's transition to kindergarten, as we thought it would be, is still a little bit uh, rocky, um, you know, like, but I think it's pretty common for boys, especially to have a, a rocky transition in, into the kindergarten year from going half day, two and a half hours a day preschool to, you know, seven or more hours a day, you know, seven, eight and a half hours a day to kindergarten, where there are some very significant behavioral expectations and academic expectations all throughout the day. So it's a learning curve. Um, and I've been tr trying my best to support him in any way I can, but knowing that the bumps are inevitable, you know, the calls home and, uh, or the, the emails home or the negative dojo points, you guys have classroom dojo down there. No, <laughs> so it, it's What's not that? very Montessori, but it's just like, you get a point. If you've shown kindness towards a student, or you get a point, if you're working hard, you get a negative point. If you've made a silly choice, um, or if you've, um, hurt another student or something like that. So, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have tried. I have defied Montessori's uh, philosophy on this when I had some students that were very challenging, but not with much of a result. I could only get minor results. I think, and the the research I've read, but of course, the research for everything, right? So I wouldn't marry. But the research I've read is that external rewards usually, in the long term, end up har uh, harming. Uh, the joy or the enjoyment of uh, whatever 
activity you're trying as allegedly to to encourage so if you if you i mean the typical study if you you have kids making a puzzle and then at the end of the day half of them get a dollar for doing it right and have not then the following day the ones that got a dollar will try to do it but then the third day the ones who got a dollar just don't want to do it anymore and the other ones keep doing it just because the joy of doing it uh, so in the long term apparently the external reward should be handled with care of course for some specific things it's good when you want to get a breakthrough someone doesn't uh, a kid maybe doesn't uh, dare to i don't know take a bath alone or whatever and then you say okay if you do this then just just to prove a point you say you see you could do it so now we don't have to fear this but but as a as a general rule for example i wouldn't use it to develop kindness not at all either you 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 discover the internal joy of being kind and how it's really attuned to your human nature or or you're not kind but <laughs> getting points for being kind is something i wouldn't do yeah yeah no i i think that it's in, extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation right and, yeah. and at the end of the day intrinsic motivation wins the wins the day it doesn't always though i would have to say that you know th there's a a ton that is a ton of behaviors in the united states that are the result of ex external rewards or punishments right i mean one thing i noticed that in argentina is that no one drives the speed limit um in the united states <laughs> the speed limit is you know people abide by it why yeah. because there are police yeah. all over the place that will stop you if you yeah. speed if there were no police people in the united states would not speed it is just that limitation that keeps people safe and sane on the highways definitely um, which so actually is connected to our topic today that we are being about the bush too long i think but you're right to the point yeah. here because what are we going to talk about today Yes. So today is all about boundaries. This is a conversation that Axel and I have been having ongoing just because I've needed some clarification or, you know, to get straight in my head about this because, you know, there's this gentle parenting movement out there right now that we're all aware of and it's dominating sort of um, Instagram and probably uh, TikTok and other, you know, social media that I'm not aware of because I'm old. Um, and it's saying this is the way to do it. And I agree with a lot of the tenets of uh, gentle parenting, as we've kind of talked about before. But I think that it can be sort of confused um, or there's an element of permissiveness there as well because parents get concerned about providing and, and promoting boundaries in kids' lives. They want, you know, maybe kids to become independent and figure out the boundaries themselves or they're afraid to tell them, no, they're really worried about harming a relationship with their child or like you were alluding to, Axel, um, messing mm -hmm. up that their social emotional state, their psychological health, right? So, yes. um, so, so, what are boundaries? What are we talking about when we say boundaries? I think, you know, there are two ways. And Axel, please add to this. Like the one that I'm thinking is just basically telling your child, no, you can't do that. It's not okay, right? I think a, a lot of parents right now might be afraid to tell their kids no. What do you think about that, Axel? Well, um, first of all, I gotta say, I, I, I. I really see the amount of suffering that the the excess of gentle or or the misunderstanding of gentling gentle parenting has caused in parents, and I think that uh, it's making kids also suffer a lot. So right away we should say that traditional parenting that that only stressed on results and academic results in school, good behavior, and you know just become a good citizen and pay your taxes 
that was not something we look forward to go back to, not at all, right? We we also understand and have learned how important it is to, to make kids feel loved, to pay attention to them, to spend time with them, all that aspect that um, uh, came to light during the 80s, 90s, 2000, progressively each year, more people and more parents get convinced that it's that it's necessary, it's good, it's uh, it's closer to human nature to be loving with your kids and to encourage them to to trust in themselves and to express themselves and all that. Now, I don't think at this point that is that necessary to keep on stressing that because I think the pendulum has gone the other way now, and we've lost sight of how important things were on the side of limits, boundaries, obedience, and all that. And the fact that it has been uh, connected to to violence, aggressiveness, or just a lack of interest in kids is not the, the boundary's fault, never was. So in, 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 in my view, it, it, it only works if there is a good and healthy balance of those two things, because we as human beings, we are born unfinished. We cannot survive alone in the world. And we we don't know what we can eat and we don't know what we can't eat. We, we, we don't know to what extent we can do things and which are the things that we cannot do. We don't know it. And we don't know it for quite a long time. And the only reason we survive is because we have society and especially our parents to tell us what to do and what not to do. And that, that is a reality of survival that needs to be taken account, needs to be acknowledged, and needs to be exercised responsibly. And it does not go, uh, it, it is not at odds only in few cases, but in reality, most of the time is not at odds with being loving and being understanding and helping your child develop his own tastes and his own interests and everything. But those two things are vital. And the boundary part is one. And yes, all we see in Instagram is don't say no to your child. Don't be violent with your child. But no one's saying in, in Instagram, uh, limit your child. Say no to him. <laughs> Discourage him. Don't empower him on these things. And, and that's also necessary. That's the difficult job of a parent. And now it has become like the dark side, you know, or a taboo. And nobody likes to acknowledge that they have to do it. We all feel ashamed about doing that. And this is something that has changed. You know, in the past, people would feel ashamed of encouraging their kids. It would seem like you were not a good parent. You're saying, oh, that's so great. That's so fantastic. They, they, they would think you were, you, were, you were soft, that you were creating a weak man or woman. You know, people, will, and now it's the opposite. If you find yourself... Uh, saying something negative or, or putting a limit or, or uh, you know, that sort of a behavior in public, you feel ashamed. You look around and people are, are looking at you and you're saying, oh, you must think I'm a bad parent. Yeah, exactly. If, if you're, you know, speaking to them very quietly and gently and whatnot, then you're the good parent. But if you're kind of yelling at your kid, you know, then then you're the bad parent. But, you know, and I think that as we've talked about the way in which you, um, you, you know, provide boundaries matters, like the intention matters, like Definitely. one can feel when they are out of control emotionally and there is like 
an intent to harm because I'm out of control and I am legitimately angry at you, you know, and I'm going to lay into you about that versus I'm, I'm going to show you that I'm upset, but I'm still in control, you know, and um, I'm going to provide these boundaries, but I don't mean to belittle you or slander you or hurt you in any way in the process. I am here to show you that I'm firm and I'm serious about this. Yes. You know what, the, to me, what the, the philosophical problem here is, we have discovered, and this is true, and this is a horrible thing, that usually our egos are the have been traditionally the kids' boundaries. So if I didn't like you playing with dolls and you were a boy, say, because I had homophobic feelings or thoughts, then I would tell you, hey, don't play with dolls, right? And it was my ego talking, my personality, my, my superficial values. Or, or you like tennis and I like football, right? Or you wanted to be a, 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 a gardener and, and I wanted you to be a, you, my son, be a lawyer. And I said, no, I don't like that. And, and we, we had, as, as a society, as a culture, we had no restraint into extending our selfish and limited views of the world upon our children and impose them. And that was something we considered that was correct. Now that has is being put in question and that's great. But the problem is that we need to uh, empower ourselves as parents and acknowledge that even our egos are not supposed to be our child's boundaries, we are the boundary. We, the father, the mother, are the boundaries of the children. It's not only to teach boundaries, is that we are part of that boundary. It has to be a loving boundary, it has to be a clear boundary, it doesn't have to be selfish, but we are the boundary. And why, why do I say this? Because parents feel ashamed of that. Because through psychoanalysis and psychology and whatever, we have discovered that we were so selfish that our parents were not thinking about what we needed, but what they thought was good or bad, that we have erased that part, but we we, we don't have anything to, to replace that. So we need, we, we need to say no, because I say so, we don't feel powerful enough. We feel ashamed. But that is and was and has always been enough for a kid. Why, why can't I do this, dad? Because I say so. Oh, great. And the kid knows this guy loves me. If he's telling me this, I really don't need an explanation. This adult person has <laughs> taught me that I needed a reason every time. But I really don't. The only reason is that he considers it correct, right? It's like the doctor. Do I need a surgery? Yes. Why? Because I say so, because I'm a doctor, <laughs> right? Then maybe I can give you a little explanation. But anyway, you're trusting me. Right, and with a kid, even the more so. So I think that parents have lost really their ability to say, "I am the limit," and that is fair. That is correct, and and it's very controversial because, of course, if I am in a place where I'm acting from my selfish views, then that limit is not going to be fair. But I can't escape that place from my son. I can't move myself, remove myself from the obligation of being the limit. So yeah. now I delegate it and I say, okay, these rules are the limit. The school has its limits. Society has its limits. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. But at the end of the day, I'm the limit because I love you. And that's yeah. all you should know. That, that should be enough.
in many times. Then as the kid grows up, of course, you want to develop the 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 intellect and for him to develop his own moral compass when you're not around. So he he wants you wants him to understand your reasons. But that does the authority doesn't come from the reasons. The authority comes from your role, from who yeah. you are. So what I think you're describing is, I mean, you're describing the difference between the sort of per permissive or maybe like more authoritative parenting versus authoritarian. Authoritative is here's the boundary and I'm going to tell you why, which opens mm -hmm. up, you know, potential for um, kids arguing with you or trying to negotiate with you versus authoritarian, which is do it because I said so, because your dad, I'm, I'm your dad, you know, uh, or I love you. Um, so I think that I like a mix of both. I think it's important for kids to know reasons uh, for things and to to question them, right? I mean, we don't want to set them up for a dictatorship, you know, in, yeah. in their life where they, they just submit to authority. We want them to know why and we want them to question it. But at the end of the day, there are certain things where, yes, I'm going to tell you the reason, but now it's my way and it's final because I'm in charge and I know what's best for you. And because clearly you're not handling yourself at the moment. So I'm stepping in. And this kind of gets to like, I, I think that part of boundaries is saying no or providing that corrective feedback, like you were saying, and doing so in a firm, but, you know, loving way, like we still have this relationship and that's where it's coming from and not my ego. And the other part is I'm in charge. Like Henry's all the time into, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me, you know, like, and he's saying that <laughs> to everyone and I've gone back after our conversations, you know, like I'm not a confrontational person. I don't like to get my heckles up. I don't like to get angry or confront um, situations. But I think if you're going to be a parent, you got to learn how to do it. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. And and that's something that we've, we've talked about. Look, if this isn't natural to you, you're going to have to start acting. Right. Like you're going to have to learn to act and learn to fake it and, and turn on some some righteous indignation, you know, and, uh, and that way you can control it. But I think kids have to know you're serious. And then also to say, I'm in charge. I am the boss of you in this situation. You've shown me that you cannot control it. I'm in charge. I'm the boss and I'm going to take care of the situation. Um, and I think that, um, like after our conversation, Axel, like, uh, uh, some examples you had showed me, I was like, Oh, it's a revelation. I was so concerned about doing that because I wanted Henry to feel a sense of autonomy and and self-efficacy, and I still do. But he's, he's also a kindergartner, and he's out of he, he's, he doesn't know how to do everything. He doesn't know how to stay in control. He's like uh, his brain isn't fully developed, um, and he wants someone to be in charge. And that's the other thing. I think a lot of parents are like kids don't really like boundaries. This whole like oh kids like boundaries is something that just makes adults. Uh, feel better about being mean and disciplining kids. But I think it can be comforting for someone to know someone else is in charge and they've got this. Yes, definitely. Imagine you're teaching your kid to ride a bike. And of course, you need to hold it for a time until he he gets that feeling of the balance. So, so, so first you're just holding and you're keeping the balance for him with well, whatever your hands are in, in, the, in the seat or in the maneuver, or whatever, right? And, and imagine he tells you, no, you're not the boss. Leave me alone. If you let go, he will fall, right? There's a moment where, where of course, and this is very difficult, you, you, you start letting go slowly and see if he's in control or not. And only then you just let go. 
But there's a moment where you have to be in control because he doesn't have the necessary strength to, to, to keep the balance. And in terms of dealing with impulses and governing actions, kids don't have control. It's kids one-on-one. -on -one. And we tend to, this is another problem, we've been bombarded, we've been so brainwashed into thinking that kids are good only. And that's not true. Kids are good and bad. Kids are wonderful and cruel and mean and selfish. And they can be helpful and they can be generous, but they can be very selfish and very, you know, they can be everything. Kids are everything. It's our job to, to show them the beauty of choosing actions that are good for themselves and for others. Otherwise, other instincts may, may prevail. So we, we have developed this unsaid, uh, for me, stupid idea that kids are internally wise, that they know better. And that's not true. I mean, of course, like every human being, there are moments where kids may see something that we don't, but they're not little ancient Yodas that know everything and then forget when they become adults. They are everything. The little Hitlers too. They, they could do harm. You know, and, and so that's why I think that what you're when you're educating a, a child, you're always saying, look, implicitly, right? You have impulses that you consider your own, which and they are, and that you consider good and they're not, and you're gonna defend them because they come from somewhere within your own sphere of conscious, little child, and it's okay that you defend them, but I'm not gonna allow them. I'm not gonna repress you or punish you for having those impulses. But I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to be in control. So if your impulse is, for example, to get up in the middle of the night and come to our bedroom, and you are, this is our point of discussion, but, and you're 14, <laughs> then I'm going to tell you, no, I'm still your dad, and you're not allowed to come here, go back to your bed. And don't you get up because there will be consequences. This is a behavior I'm going to be curving if, if it's a normal kid, okay? It's a, there are always exceptions. But but th there are cases when you need to stand up to your kid and say, no, you're having an impulse that is not valid. And if you, if you try to impose it upon me, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose my respect. You're going to lose my support. And, and, and you, you can go on and go on defying me because you're going to lose everything eventually. It won't come to that, right, kid? You're going to obey me? Yes, okay. But it has to be very clear that these are not allowed. So to take control of your child is to acknowledge that your child is not always good, not always wise, and to treat him accordingly, with love, <laughs> but accordingly. Like, hey, you're a little selfish now. Yeah, you make a good point. Um, and, and it's not only impulses, but instincts. Kids... You know, according to the Yale Morality Study, um, where they looked at uh, infants' preferences, kids do seem to come into the world with, you know, some good and some bad, um, some some instincts that are what we'd call maladaptive to our current society, like to to be bullying, to um, punish people who um, are different from them, from not to not liking people who are different from them. Like it is our job to socialize and to provide corrective feedback to kids so that they can have adaptive, harmonious um, traits and behaviors. And how do we do that um, in a number of ways? I mean, by having a loving relationship with them, yes, 
but also providing boundaries and, and corrective feedback and showing them who is in charge. If not, we leave them to their instincts, a number of which are not going to be helpful and, and may wreak havoc in their and others' lives. Yes. So, and as we see, sometimes when kids give in to an impulse that is not morally correct, like taking away a toy from another kid just because they feel desire for it and it's not theirs and the other kid is crying. And uh, that impulse exists. But it, at the same time, within that kid, there is an impulse of remorse. Something knows because human beings have been, it, it has been proved that we have some deep moral values that uh really come with the with the genes or with with culture from the very onset of our existence that are there it's not everything that we need to to teach not not the, the the raw impulse of considering the other human beings well-being as much as my own is something that in humans exists as it also exists the basic instinct of preferring myself over others both things are all the time at work so even though the kid cannot express it, when you put a limit to the behavior that is against the better human nature, another part of it, that kid is feeling relieved. You say, oh, I don't need to be in a constant sense of internal civil war, you know, because forces from the outside have come and have said, I'm choosing this side, the side of good, right? And uh, so this gives a lot of internal peace to the child. And that's what, what parents don't see. The, the, the child will become more peaceful because he will know that his aspect that wants to do, to live in harmony with others, what we call do good, if you excuse the word, <laughs> this time we cannot use these words because they we, we become so... Um, how do you say it, um, relative about good and bad, that we cannot be, and, and it's, it's quite a problem when you're a parent, when, when the relativism in, involves it. But let's say a kid knows what's right and wrong. And when you go and you step in to, to, to limit the wrong, his side of doing the right thing is relieved. And in the end, it will grow able to limit himself the the the, the wrong side not not for everything but because being a human involves always to have impulses right <laughs> that yeah. are not according to everybody and that's that's great because uh, that's what makes us human and that's also provokes change and that's also necessary when there is as you say an oppressive power a situation that needs to be changed the need to rebel to go against what seems to be the right thing is also very important we don't know we don't want to 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 to, to cut that off to remove it but but on an ongoing battle of the child towards survival with his own impulses, we need to step in. We need to play a role. We cannot leave the child alone. Oh, you decide. Oh, you choose. Oh, what do you think? No, we are abandoning the child. We need to step in. Yeah. And, and just to follow up on that, you know, I think as a script for parents who are really working to change an impulse that is getting their child at in, in trouble at home with other kids at school, you can use this. And I it has worked well in our house. I'll, I'll be curious to what you think about this, Axel. But I mm -hmm. say, look, this is our fault. We haven't been as hard on you as we should have been. 
um, yeah. to, to correct this behavior. But now that's changing. Now we're going to get it right. Because um, kids who are out of control, they don't know how to stay in control. They don't know how to correct a behavior that keeps getting them in trouble. And I think that it's actually comforting for them to know that here's someone who's going to step up. Oh, it's their fault. They're doing this because they're helping me and they didn't do it right. And I think it's kind of some reverse psychology, but it has worked a lot in our case to say, we haven't been doing this well enough. Now it's going to change. And that's why, you know, after you do this, you're going to lose this privilege. Definitely. I agree. I, I, I say the same thing to my kid. Also, to to sustain even when I'm putting some limits the the, the impression that I'm, I'm on their side even though I'm, I'm I'm going very hard with consequences of what whatever they have done I'm saying this is also my fault and I'm taking part of the blame I'm taking part of the part of the punishment I'm taking part of the inconvenience it's uh, it's not like you are bad and I'm on the side of good and I don't have bad it's that 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 needs to be avoided because that puts guilt and pressure on the child so you can say this does not happen at home anymore without saying you are uh you are a mistake of a person <laughs> because of what you've done you don't belong to the human race because of what you've done no 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 what you do is what you do it's okay but you cannot do it anymore and and yeah. uh Really, the, what, what, what there are a couple of concepts I've been develop, developing with this is uh, one is the, the, the faucet of approval. Faucet, like you know, when you open and water comes out of it, it's faucet, right? That's the word. Yes. When you're taking a shower and you want more hot water, more more cold water, you move the faucets. That, that, that's that's uh, yes. Okay, so I'm telling the parents, many parents that have received like no approval when they were little kids and maybe have been abandoned by one of the, the parents, usually a man, unfortunately. And uh, so they felt the faucet of approval when I was a little kid was closed. And I really was so thirsty about for a little bit of approval. So when, now they have kids, they open the faucet of approval to the, to the top all the time. Everything is fantastic. Oh, great. Oh, fantastic. Oh, they cannot close it. And it's an emotional current that sends a message to the kid. And if you have it all the time open, it loses its way of its its meaning. So I'm, I'm usually, these days I'm advising the parents, you gotta close the faucet of approval when the kid does not behave well. Otherwise, your only resort is words and intellectual. And kids don't get words that, that easily and they don't stay, but emotion, kids get it immediately. And they are much more, it has much more impact in their behavior. But parents feel very guilty about that. Yeah, I think that it, there's a distinction that's hard to make because parents conflate approval with love. And yes. they're worried that their kids will. And, and, and it's true that I think the moment your kid questions their your love for them, then all this sort of begins to fall apart, you know, because it's it's very much based on their sense of my parents doing this based on on their love for me. But we can reassure them that we love them without showing them that approval of being happy to be with them or pleased with them, you know, or wanting to, you know, spend time with with them in, in any given moment. Like, I think there's a distinction between those two things. And I think we felt it in our own lives. And I think parents do need to to learn to walk that line. 
Um, and, th and that means sometimes, I mean, parents may not be, may not want to feel badly um, or to force themselves into a grumpy mood around their child to show disapproval, right? Mm -hmm. Or show low approval. Yes. But that's, it's probably a necessary part of parenting, you know, to say, hey, I've got this need to be in a good mood today, but my kid is acting up and I've got to show them that I'm not pleased with them right now. And they've got and to actually, feel actually, I would go even a step further now that you bring this over that kids don't feel loved when the faucet of approval is opened all the time. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that he will feel loved. On the contrary, it it, it provokes some sort of abandonment. They, they 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 don't even feel approved. They don't even feel. I mean, I have kids here that their parents are telling them all the time how wonderful they are and how great everything they do, and kids feel miserable. And they come here and uh, because what I think is that a kid will judge your love for him based on what's behind you opening and closing closing the faucet of approval. If he feels or she feels that you're closing the faucet of approval when he or she knows that you are that the kid is doing something incorrect, then the kid says he loves me because he's seeing me. He's seeing me so deeply that he knows that I'm going against my own internal desire of being good. And he's close to the faucet of approval, which sends a very strong signal to the whole of myself that I should stop doing this. So he's seeing, he's paying attention. Oh, now I'm doing things right. I'm peaceful. I'm productive, whatever. And the faucet of approval is, is fine. It's open. So, you know, there's a response. Someone is looking at me. Otherwise, there couldn't be any, any change on this current of uh, approval. Now, if the current of approval is open all the time, this person is obviously not interested in me. It's only interested in keeping that faucet of approval all the time, so he or she won't feel guilty about it. And it's not, it's not looking at me, it's not doing his job. How could he love me? It's yeah. not. And think about what we're setting our kids up for if we do just approve of them constantly, you know, and everything is sort of positive and everything is positively spun like relationships in the real world uh, are not like that. Um, you know, there people approve of your behavior when it is positive pro-social behavior and uh, disapprove of your behavior when it's it's not. Uh, I think that we're not setting our kids up for um good relation harmonious relationships in in the future if we establish this dynamic so yeah. so yeah i mean it's it's a really normal dynamic to show disapproval um and i think that it will teach them um what to expect in relationships throughout their lives because that's what we're doing i mean the, the caregiver relationships are the models that they're going to carry forth with them into the future for close friendships and for romantic, you know, intimacy uh, with partners. And we've got to establish a give and take um, and a, a sort of real, um, you know, true to life dynamic for them, for them to be successful in the future. Yes. I think we have examples on, on other areas, like uh, with this thing of the, the, the approval we give our kids versus what we received and we start is the same with parents that were deprived as children. And then they buy everything, all the toys to their children and their children are not happier. 
and 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 and, and you, you're wondering why everything is boring for them and why I was so grateful when I got that little toy I wanted for that Christmas after asking for it for a year because excess is is not the 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 compensation of lack there's always a middle point same with sugar I mean if if your mother gave you sugar all the time you won't feel loved you won't feel taken care of even though it's the most pleasant nobody re remembers oh my mother was so great she gave me ice cream all the time <laughs> the moment the kid starts thinking a little bit he says my mother doesn't love me she gives me ice cream because that keeps me quiet but it's not doing her job and so uh, kids are not stupid in that aspect they're, yes. they're, they're not be wise but they're not stupid so they sense it they insist that we as adults are not doing our jobs so what happens they start asking for limits they start saying you are not seeing me i'm gonna make you see me and put a limit do your damn job and if oh, you don't see that. me I'm, i'm gonna step it up and step it up and step it up that's why we were talking about that that Although some bad behavior is attention-seeking behavior, uh, what I'm seeing around is that many times this attention is att limit-seeking behavior because a limit is a part of a, is a way of being attention, and many kids require that. I have this you kid. Are not, I, you are not yes. seeing me. I love that. I mean, that's like if we can just have our minds sort of repeat that mantra when our kids are engaging in attention seeking behaviors and we're not responding you know what i mean like that's what they're telling us you're not seeing me impose a limit you know uh and some kids need those constant limits you know and other kids don't as much you know and i guess that's the thing we have to realize that we have this conversation some parents are maybe thinking wow my kid's fine but i don't impose limits or boundaries at all well some kids don't need many right they, they just they kind of go about lives and and they figure it out implicitly other kids need constant limits, you know, and it's exhausting. Uh, and we need to realize that there's that spectrum that exists and you know your kid and you know probably what they need. Uh, and I, some you know, kids can be cut from the same family and need completely different ways of having boundaries provided in different scenarios. And I would say that the other problem of this era we live in is that we all overthink education a lot and we make podcasts about it and we... <laughs> like we are guilty of that, but there, there are a ton of oh, there's a ton of overthinking, and many times people, without thinking about it, they convey limits in a very healthy and natural way. Like, like always tell your kids never want to draw to ride in the in the roof of your car. They never ask for it. They don't throw a tantrum about it. They, it's just not a possibility for them. Why? Wouldn't it be fun? Think about it. Wouldn't it be fun to ride on the roof of a car? Why is it that kids never do it? Because the first time they asked you, you don't even remember, but they always do. The first time they, I want to climb up here, you say, no, no, no. And you felt it and you expressed it without that thread of doubt that there was no violence necessary. Okay, there might be the occasional odd kid that will climb on the roof anyways. You, okay, then it will take you two times to say to the kid, three the most, that's it. If you don't doubt, kids get it. Everything they do is because we implicitly allow it. And why do we allow it? Because we have opened the doubt about what's good and bad behavior because now we are afraid of making a mistake. Am I repressing my kid? Am I not expressing enough <laughs> uh, approval? 
if I say no to this or no to that, but we don't, we, at least we still keep those those areas. Yeah, now, Axel, getting back to what you said about um, parents thinking that their kids want stuff, uh, you know, and that giving them lots of stuff and not depriving them of things will make them happy. I mean, it's an instinct of parents for some reason that, oh, if I give them this or, or if I have this experience with them, they're going to they're going to love me and they should uh, respect me and and appreciate appreciate what I've done for them. But I think that, you know, what we're getting at here, especially in the holiday season of giving, is that what kids want the most is A, our love, B, our attention, and C, our teaching. Yes. What do you think? I mean, I, I feel like yes. it, 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 like the, the first two make sense. Okay, yeah, definitely. They want our attention. I know that they're seeking that. Clearly, they want my love. But they also want to be taught by someone who's competent, who is a really successful and highly skilled guide at showing me how to feel good about myself and competent as an individual. Because at the end of the day, if your kid feels like a competent individual and well-raised, that is sort of like the ultimate respect for my parents. My parents raised me right, right? Definitely. And that's definitely. where the love comes, right? Yes, definitely. It's a very specific type of love that I think we all have trouble because also there's not much of a Hollywood model about this. There's a lot of model about couples love, a lot of model about maybe friendship love, but but not about parent love. And for example, this is another mistake. We parents want to feel to make our kids feel loved because that was lacking in, in education in the past. And we all agree on that. So we resort to the to relationships that don't apply, like friendship. And so we, we want to give them attention, but also we want them not to need our attention eventually. We are from day one, we are also preparing the the, the stage for them to fly on. And if we don't do that, I mean, they will fly on anyways, unless we do like the, the psycho mother <laughs> to Norman Bates. But uh, but if that's not the case, they will fly on. The problem is they will fly on uh, angry and not, not prepared and the relationship will not be as good. Whether if from the beginning we are saying, I need to be supportive, provide tons of love, but provide boundaries and don't make them need me all the time. Because that's another thing is like, oh, I feel guilty because I'm not playing with my kids enough. I feel guilty because I'm not uh, reading a bedtime story. Every now. Okay, let's take a moment there. Because if your kid cannot play alone with other kids and is always demanding your attention, then he's not being normal because you're not going to be around all the time. You will phase out and he will be to need to learn to be alone and to be with other friends. <laughs> yeah. So. That's another deformation that we've we've also families have gotten smaller. Many kids don't have siblings, and communities have more and more isolated. So you see more and more parents stepping in, incorrectly in my opinion, to fill the the gap of the, the lack of friends and the lack of positive so, uh, solitude. You know, if they're alone, kids need to be playing a video game. Otherwise, they will. Have, I don't know something horrible will happen if they don't get entertained and they're alone where does that come from so we also feel guilty about that and that's that's just crazy well let's let's actually put a pin in that conversation because that's the next podcast episode i want to have i oh. want to talk about 
how to successfully prepare your kid to enter a structured school environment. You know, what we should be doing as parents to support that sort of, okay, now my child's not going to have me one-on-one -on -one, um, all day long. Um, what do parents need to do to be able to, you know, try to ease the transition to the school environment uh, for their kids. So let's talk about that next time. Okay. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think that we made a, a lot of headway and I hope that uh, parents listening feel that way too. Um, but Axel, I have to see if you have any dad jokes ready for us. I I kind of have, I kind of have. The first okay, thing is okay. a question. And some of these are good for, for Christmas time because they're for the whole family. Okay. <laughs> for example, you can ask your kids, why can't pirates finish the alphabet? Uh, tell me. Because they get lost at sea. Oh, boy. I thought it was <laughs> going to be something related to ARG. <laughs> now, you know that my son decided to buy a new reversible jacket. Uh-huh. I can't wait to see how it turns out. <laughs> but, by the way, I'm reading an anti-gravity book. Okay. It's impossible to put down. <laughs> and once... Once the kids have gone to bed and you're out with the old adults, you can ask them the following. You can tell them the following. Okay. Gonorrhea would have been a great name for diarrhea medicine. <laughs> Gonorrhea. Okay, that's it for today. See you next year. And I hope you have a, a merry, merry Christmas. All right, same to you. All right, bye, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>